everybody, Kendra the Vet Tech here, and today we're checking in with a laboratory supervisor. So headed down another career path today, and with us to guide the way is Lori, who is a certified veterinary technician, also a veterinary technician specialist in clinical pathology. So welcome, Lori. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you for having me. And on the surface, Lori, it looks like you may have been headed down another path or had another plan in life. So I'm really eager to hear how you got where you are today. And the reason why I'm wondering is because you also hold a Bachelor of Science with a major in biology and a minor in chemistry. So when you completed that bachelor degree, was starting out in a veterinary clinic to develop their forage analysis lab, was that the original game plan or just a pretty cool opportunity that came up at the time? So that honestly was a cool opportunity. When I was in college, I was doing a research project my senior year. And back then you had a right to professors to find out what their research was if it hadn't been published. And the one professor wrote back, he willingly gave me his information but he also said, good luck on your varied and, you know, circuitous career. And I'm like, no, it's it's going to be, you know, straight line, A to B <laughs> to C. I know what I'm doing. Yeah, no, he was right. So I had my degree and I was looking around in the area that I grew up in and there was this opportunity for a analysis lab. Well, that's that was chemistry. So. I started there and as the business was growing, I, you know, I had some extra time. So that's when I first found out that a veterinary technician actually existed. So my guidance counselor back in high school could have helped me a little bit more, but I never knew that they even existed. And this was, this was several years ago. So from there, you know, I moved around the country and had another job in chemistry. So I wasn't even thinking about veterinary technician. And then when I came back into this area, I started working at a, it was a small practice, one or one to three doctors, but in large animal. And so that's when I really started thinking about going and getting my, my uh, CVT, my vet tech degree. And so that's what I did. And then shortly after I got my vet tech degree, I quit my job. So I was like, okay, well, this is, you know, for several reasons, but I quit my job. And then three years later, I happened to be at a continuing ed and one of my former classmates was there. And she said, you know, I need somebody for an allergy lab tech. And I was like, well, I could do that, you know, and it was out of veterinary practice. It's at the one I'm at now. And so I started working there part-time and then the main lab, which is what I'm now supervisor of, you know, they were getting busy. And so I was like, well, I could work down there. And so it, no, it wasn't planned. It was not (laughs) planned by any means. Yeah. And if you wouldn't mind me asking, Lori, we, we did have an episode recently about, you know, kind of taking a look in the rear view mirror to see how far we've come as credentialed veterinary technicians. And I find it interesting that at the very beginning of your career, you've been in vet med for a long time, but at the very beginning of your career, you saw and you knew what this was, a credentialed veterinary technician. Would you mind sharing the year with us just so we can kind of fit this in our mind? Sure, that was 1984. 
1984. Okay. So cool. So awesome yeah. that you were in a place that was already recognizing this as a thing. You knew what it was. You knew it was separate in 1984. That's amazing. The practice that I'm at always has hired credentialed veterinary technicians. They've always hired them. You have now been with the have, right crowds. Yeah. Now we have assistants, doctor's assistants, technician assistants, but we still have the veterinary technicians doing the vet tech work. Again, this is a little off of our beaten path here, but I'm curious since we're talking about it, doctor's assistance is not a term that I'm familiar with or that I've come across in my experience. So tell me a little bit about the assistant designations in the practice you're working in and what those terms mean. First, a little background where I work, because that will explain a little bit more. So I work at Quakertown Veterinary Clinic, and we have 45 plus doctors. Alza. So, yeah. So it's, it's, it's rather large. So we've split up a lot of the duties. So we will have a doctor's assistant that will bring the client into the exam room, take the history, help the doctor out a little bit not doing blood draws, not doing x-rays, not doing any kind of that stuff, but just those basics, which in a lot of other practices that are smaller, you would have a vet tech doing that. But we sort of split that off. The veterinary technician assistant is also doing stuff like taking dogs for walks, cleaning cages, things like that. Because you can imagine with that large of a practice, our wards, our cat ward, I don't even know how many it holds, but we have, I think it's four bays of kennels or, or of cages for the dogs, just in hospital. That does not include the kennel. So, you know, we need oh, some help. So we kennel, kennel like boarding way. facility. Is that what yeah. you're, yeah. Okay. Yeah. That's like a hundred cages. Yeah. So oh yeah. That's a totally different thing. And that doesn't include 10 stall barn. So, it, you know, but, but we needed help to, to be able to do this. And rather than hiring tons of technicians, which we have like 40, we, we um, have it separated out. And so that's, there's probably another term for it somewhere else. That's just what we call them. Yeah. Well, you know, that's so great knowledge for our listeners. I, I don't know you know, where else that term has been used in my experience in, in Kansas, Missouri area and up here in Washington, I have not heard it before, but you know, we're a growing profession. And I think that what you're experiencing is something that we are going to experience across the board eventually, where we are going to have to pare some of these duties down quite a bit more because we're just getting very busy as a, as a whole, as a community, as a whole, we're just getting very busy, busy. So maybe if we come across that term, later on, we'll, we'll all know what it is or have some sort of expectation because we've at least heard it before. So that's so cool. And uh, if I could just interrupt for a second, I think yes. sometimes the term is, some people use the term veterinary assistant to, rather than doctor's assistant, they'll say veterinary assistant, which is probably doing similar duties. It's just, we've always called them doctor's assistants. So that's what we call them. Yeah. All right. Well, back to back to your track here. So stepped away from vet med, came back, worked in the large animal practice. And that was where you came across the allergy lab, I believe, and, and then got your, your credentials as a CVT or before you gained your credentials as a CVT. So once you got back into veterinary medicine, you kind of told us this, your friend said, hey, I've got this job in this allergy lab. But was it your calling? Did you find coming back into vet med, you were like, 
yes, that's what I want to do is go back into the lab because of your heavy science background? Or again, was that just an opportunity that happened? I love lab work. I absolutely love lab work. And I can tell you from seventh grade biology, (laughs) when we worked with microscopes and dissecting things, I, I love lab work. So a lot of people don't, but I do. So once I had, you know, my foot in the door with the allergy lab at, at QVC, then I could, you know, then I, then I was able to get into the main lab. To me, it's, it's uh, just something I've always wanted to do and didn't think that I could do lab work full-time in veterinary medicine. And it just worked out perfectly. So I couldn't have planned it better. Yeah. And now you work in a, in a very large practice. We already talked about that with an in-house lab mm-hmm. that, that runs the in-house lab work for your practice as well as some of the practices in your area, but you are the supervisor of that lab, right? Correct. And, and how many employees are, are under you working in that lab? So we have three full-time dedicated lab techs and three part-time and they're all CBTs. And I think all but one also has their bachelor's in addition to their CVT. And we staff the lab from Monday through Friday, 7 a.m. to about 9, 9.30. And then Saturday and Sunday from 8 to 8, let's say. And then overnights, the other technicians will run the basics because we are seeing emergencies. So they will run the basic CBC chemistry, stuff like that. And then in the morning when we get back, we'll do anything, cortisols or differentials or stuff like that. And so what is it you're you're doing on the day-to-day? Even though you're a supervisor, do you still get to do that lab work that you love so much every day? I do. And on a really good day when it gets busy, they'll just sit me at the microscope and just keep feeding <laughs> me things. And I'm fine with that because I, over the years, I've, I've certainly gotten faster at it. So, you know, I could, I'll just do the differentials. They'll be, you know, it's like, I'll walk over. Okay. It's getting pretty busy. Do you need some help? Yeah. Well, if you could do those five differentials and those three urines and then read the five fecals, that'd be great. So <laughs> that's, that is what I love the most. And, and they know that. So my, my staff knows that. So I do get to do that. And then, you know, there are other times we just get busy and I, I will pick up shifts and I'll, I'll just do whatever needs to be done. So on a, on a daily basis, there's a lot of, you know, CBCs, chems, UAs. We only do the large animal fecals. The, the doctor's assistants or the vet assistants will do the small animal fecals. And we're also DEP certified water lab and a USDA Coggins lab. Oh, cool. So, Yeah. Yeah. Got some other things going on there. So you have those specialist credentials as a technician. So you're very knowledgeable in your field of study there, but is there a DVM also that's, that's over the lab or part of the lab component? No, no. Just, just you running the ship. I'm, I'm running the ship. That is correct. And Um, what about if somebody started out in a facility similar to yours, what, what could they expect their day-to-day work to be like? Do you guys kind of assign people to, hey, you're going to run all the blood samples today. Sounds like you man the microscope all day. Or how, how does that look for those, your employees? So when we start out the day, usually we have one person starting out and they're just going to do whatever comes in. So if it's CBCs, CAMs, UAs, they're going to be working on those. And then as it gets busier, 
sometimes we will split off where somebody is just working on the scope or just running in the first bay of the lab, we have the CBC machine and the scope. The second bay is are the chemistry machines. And then the third bay is the cortisol machine. So sometimes we'll start splitting it up that way. So we're not running on, you know, we're not stepping on top of each other. So we will split it up that way, but usually you're doing a little bit of everything every day. And that way we're also not getting bored. Do you have any of your, your current uh, folks that are trying to get their VTS as well? Sounds like they're extensive, have extensive knowledge in science and things. Not yet, because for the VTS, you need 4,000 hours worth of lab time. So if you're doing it full time, you need about, you know, two to three years, depending how you're, you're spread out. So I have full-time ones have not been there quite long enough to have enough hours. And the part-timers are not interested in doing that because yeah. they will do part-time, but they're also doing part-time dentals uh, in another part of the clinic. So I am hopeful that I can get, <laughs> you know, one or two others. And there's already one that uh, a person that's not working in the lab, but has expressed interest that someday he would like to get his VTS in ClinPath. So we'll see how that goes. That's years off, but yeah, and, and hopeful. And two to three years, you know, just in the lab, that's, that's quite a bit of time. I mean, we think of two to three years in a clinic as no big deal, but just in a lab doing, doing lab things, that's, that's dedication to even get started. I feel like. Yeah. Yeah. So for any of our listeners then who are wanting to pursue ClinPath, not necessarily a VTS, but just even working in it full time, what are your suggestions for getting started? Is it really advantageous to have this bachelor of science degree in, in the sciences, or can we do some on the job learning after our technician degree? Or what are your thoughts on that or your suggestions? So you don't need the bachelor's degree. By I will say by having the bachelor's degree, I fine-tuned a lot of my lab skills. And that was helpful. I can't say that it wasn't. But you can learn a lot of those skills just working in the lab and somebody teaching you, hold your pipette straight up and down, don't hold it sideways, you know, things like that. So there's a lot of things that you can learn just by working in the lab at whatever clinic you are. And certainly when you're getting your CBT or your, your technician degree, there are lab courses and trying to learn as much in those lab courses is a good thing. So whether it's parasitology or clinical pathology, if you are paying attention during those, if that is indeed what you like, because <laughs> like I said, there's a lot of people that don't like lab work. But if you like it and you're paying attention, then you're already ahead of the game because you already know what's going on. What about any specific recommendations for once once we do get out of school? Are there certain jobs to look for or see, this is how much I know. I don't even know the, the right way to ask this question, but like certain job titles or listings from certain companies, things like that, that maybe we should keep our minds tuned into if, if we want to pursue this path? It's a good question. So I know when I was looking for one person, I put laboratory technician wanted, and that came up as lab animal. So uh, a lot of people that wanted lab animal were looking. I'm like, no, 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 no. I want a, a, a CBT, but working in the lab. So 
there's not many out there because there's not a lot of labs in clinics or they're just smaller labs. So a lot of places, I know several in the area that have a little bit bigger labs because maybe they have five to seven doctors. So they are running stuff in house. So it's a matter of just looking around and seeing if there's a a clinic that's big enough to have a lab and then maybe they have a dedicated lab person or you can get in there to run more lab stuff if you really like to do that. So that's, I don't know of like pharmaceutical companies that have one. They might. I know that I have several friends that teach in different parts of the country, but they're teaching the clinical pathology or the parasitology. So that's another, that's not working in a tech, in a vet clinic, but it is working with those skills. Right, so that's right. another option. Well, and then networking at CE is another great way, guys. I know I, you know, when I go to CE in all the years past, I like to sit as far back as I can and stay as quiet as I can. But that's really the time when you need to start networking and reaching out to people and asking these questions and keeping your eyes open for these jobs. Are there some good CEs or, you know, like for equine, there's the great um, AAEP conference for us at the end of the year. Is there something like that for ClinPath or some good websites or something like that, that we could keep our eyes open for, for, for moving in this direction? Well, a couple of things. One, it's a matter of searching different, you know, um, conferences around. Sometimes I can find some good ones that have specific clinical pathology CE. Other times, a lot of CE will have components of clinical pathology in them. If you're diagnosing a diabetic cat, at some point, they're going to be talking about lab work and what to look for and what to run. So so that's one way. Uh, The other thing is the um, veterinarian clinical pathologist group. They have at least one conference a year. And the, the group that holds my specialty the AVCPT, sometimes we will, some of our people will be doing a CE or they'll, they will list different CEs in the area. So there's not one database that lists yeah. CE for ClinPath. And it seems like it's pretty hard to find, you know, I see lots of people always ask about it, What what's another good book or what's some good CE? So it seems like it's a little tricky, but I do like that great nugget that you provided us there that you know, keep your eyes and ears open all the time because you're right. You could be thinking, oh, CE for a diabetic cat. But if you pay attention, you'll get something out of that for your clean path. That's such a great suggestion for our listeners to always just make sure we keep our eyes and ears open because you never know what kind of great things you can come across when you don't even expect it. Right. All right. Well, is there anything else for our listeners today about working in, in clinical pathology or in lab work that you'd like to share with us? Not that I can think of. I, I will say it's not boring. Like some people will say, oh, you're just running this or that. But I always look at it that I am providing a piece of the puzzle. Okay, maybe it's not the piece of the puzzle that they need, but I am providing all these pieces. And, you know, my, my big thing I was telling somebody today that I like the speed, but I also like the accuracy of our lab. And we need to be able to provide to provide those correct results, not just results, but the correct results. So 
it's not that, oh, I'm not, I don't work on the animals. I, I don't touch the animals. I don't draw blood. I don't do anything like that. They just keep me in the lab. But I gave the results to a doctor today for a cortisol. She was so excited because that was the final piece of her diagnosis. Nice. And she was just ecstatic. And it was just like, oh, cool. So th- there have been other times that I've alerted the doctor, you know, and they of things they weren't expecting, like, uh-oh, I think your your cat's diabetic here and, and there's some issues. So you need to look at those even before all the blood work results are in. So there's a lot of stuff that happens in the lab that people don't really expect, but it's it's not boring. It is not boring. There's too much stuff going on. Yeah, it reminds me of all the great things, you know, where you're like, oh, crikey, look at the creatinine on this blood work or uh, accuracy too. That's such a big part of what you guys do as lab workers is, you know, we we send out, I, I work in mixed animal practice, have for several years, and, and we always send out our fecals because we just don't have the time in a mobile day to read them. Sure. And we had one instance where apparently the lab had a new technician that was not familiar with certain parasites that can only be found in certain species. And we knew just from the results that we got back that she probably did not know or realize what she was reading, but those errors can happen. Even Mm -hmm. counts can be wrong or we can enter our, our results wrong for the wrong patient, something to that effect. So the accuracy too, yeah, that's, that's a super important part of patient care, providing that piece of the puzzle, but providing it accurately, what you guys are doing. That's, that's amazing. And what about, I always like my guests to leave a tip or a trick at the end of the episode. Do you have anything for our listeners today? I would probably say ditch the SETI sting. <laughs> I, I really do not like SETI sting. SETI sting becomes contaminated and you're not sure what you're looking at. So, you know, we, we do a wet mount of our sediment and you can see crystals, you can get an idea what's going on. But all you have to do is take a drop of urine, sort of smear it on a slide. You can take a hairdryer, dry it quickly, put it in diff quick, and then the bacteria will pop. You can tell if, if you're looking at cocci or if you're looking at rods, or was it just amorphous sediment you were looking at? And then you can tell what kind of cells. Are they transitional? Are they renal? Are they just epithelials there, squamous epithelials? So ditch the SETI sting. It's it's just, you know, do a, just make a smear and, and dip it, and you can see so much more stuff on it on the slide. That is a fantastic tip. That was a great step-by-step, you guys, too. Write that one down. You heard <laughs> it from the very professional's mouth here, how, <laughs> how to go about that, doing that uh, diff quick scene on your urine to get more accurate results. So that wraps us up for today, guys. Lori, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you. It was fun to do, fun to talk. Yeah. And if you guys have any questions or you'd like to hear about specific topics, do feel free to shoot me an email at KendraTheVetTech at gmail.com. You can also catch me on Facebook or Instagram or through my website, KendraTheVetTech.com, where you can also find my newest online live sessions over pig general anesthesia and the art of veterinary call taking. You can also purchase a copy of my veterinary telephone triage flip book through my website as well. And don't forget to check out my YouTube channel for the latest educational video releases. Thanks, guys. 